Catholic school. I was six. And the nuns would push up the, the thing to the lectern that would boost me up so I could see over the top of it. And they taught Schubert's Ave Maria in Latin to me by rote. so excited to have you here, Marianne. Dr. Marianne Kyle has dedicated her professional life to guiding singers and teachers in their pursuit, not only of exceptional singing, but also captivating performance. In addition to her active studio of performers, she also actively mentors over 30 teachers of voice and theater in various universities across the United States and her students can be found on the stages of the finest opera and musical theater companies, conservatories, and training programs across the globe. Dr. Kyle is the founder of MK Studios and MK Productions, which provides private instruction and workshop training for singers and teachers. And in her spare time, she is in training to compete in extreme sports obstacle course racing. Dr. Kyle, I'm going to call you Marianne, if that's okay, since you're kind of like my sister. Is that all right? That is correct. Yes, we are sisters. And please, and I will call you Megan. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right, Marianne, welcome to Pretty Psych. I'm so excited to have you today. (laughs) I'm very excited about uh, Marianne because she happens to teach my daughter's voice lessons. I feel like the luckiest mama in the world to have her expertise And you may be wondering, why are we having such an accomplished vocalist on Pretty Psych? Well, the reason is because whenever Marianne and I talk, we draw so many parallels between therapy and connection to God, self, and others, shalom, that whole concept of wholeness that we work toward in Mountain City Christian Counseling and singing. Marianne is always talking to me about connecting to our bodies as we're singing, connecting to our souls as we're singing. And I happen to have a lot of singers in my practice. And I love working with artists because artists are so connected to their bodies. And that is so conducive to healing because sometimes I can spend months or even up to a year helping a client just to connect to their body. It's a pleasure to have you here, Marianne. Thank you, Megan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So another fun fact is that the vibrations produced by music have been shown to calm the central nervous system's response to negative stimuli. For musicians, using somatic techniques allows the individual to truly connect to their emotions in music and even sometimes heal from traumatic memories while becoming more aware of their bodies and their ability to self-calm while performing. And I'm going to let you take it away in a minute, but I just have to share something that happened with my oldest daughter, Mila, who studies with uh, Dr. Kyle. Her students call her DK. But she had to do a quick audition, I don't know, a couple months ago, or maybe it wasn't that long ago. But That's correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she had to do a quick audition. She needed a couple of um, arias. Please correct me if I just <laughs> a couple of classical songs. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Perfect. I do not need to get in over my head here. Okay. Uh, one of the songs that she chose with your guidance 
was a Samuel Barber song mm-hmm. that I sang to my children growing up. And Mila said, this is perfect because it's giving me the emotional connection of my mom holding me and singing this song to me all through my childhood. And she did a beautiful job because mm-hmm. she was able to tap into those emotions and you helped her to do that. Thank so. you. Thank you. She was, but she was also a very willing vessel to go that direction because so many of these performers really are so consumed by their vocal technique that they don't allow themselves to go to that point where they can honestly connect to a piece. And so it takes a good deal of bravery to and honesty to be able to access that. Right, right. So, I, and I imagine you do this every day. You help your students to connect to that honesty and that bravery, right? Absolutely. We do it every day. In fact, the reason I work with so many teachers is because over time, a lot of them have teacher burnout uh, and they're very young when this happens. And what I find when I start working with them is that they have lost that connection in their own singing to the emotional connection to the music, the ability to self-calm and connect to the music and be honest with their voices, which is very different than trying to be perfect or portray perfect technique. So once you reintroduce that process to them as singers, then it totally changes and rewires and revamps their teaching. They, they really can overcome a lot of this burned out quality that happens. And I, I often tell my teachers, you can't practice like a teacher. You have to practice like a singer. But that's kind of my greatest joy is helping people honestly reconnect to the music through their voices. So beautiful. And you know me well enough to know that I was a singer. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> and a pianist and a dancer. You did everything. <laughs> it's been a very long time. But I, I ended up with my undergraduate degree in vocal performance. Mm-hmm. And I had a childhood of just being frozen when it came to singing because I knew I wasn't doing it right. Whenever I would sing, it would be criticized and being criticized with singing felt very different than being criticized with piano. And as you and I have talked before, the piano is an instrument unto itself, but your voice is your body's instrument. You are absolutely correct. In fact, just if we just talk about and, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this at some point, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic, the sympathetic being, of course, the fight or flight response system and the parasympathetic being responsible for calming and a lot of bodily functions governed by the parasympathetic. And a lot of that is affected and impacted by the vagus nerve. The interesting thing about the vagus nerve is it runs right through your vocal folds, your vocal cords, as they used to call them. And that's why they will often say singing is an act of self-calming in terms of how the parasympathetic nervous system responds to it. And so uh, what happens with singers is that because the breath is immediately attached to what we do, the breath, of course, in my belief, is the spirit of who we are. And then we're trained to control the breath, which in some circumstances with singers who have performance anxiety, fear-based, or hypercritical with their singing, they think that holding the breath is controlling the breath. The problem is when you hold the air, the sympathetic nervous system responds. And then if you have additional traumatic experiences, little T or big T experiences on top of that, your amygdala, of course, goes, it doesn't know language. It doesn't know anything. It just starts, you know, going chaotic. And now here you have this beautiful thing. Yes, you have this beautiful thing meant to calm us and soothe us. In fact, 
I oftentimes say that singing is a throne gift. The angels have it. And there's this thing we've been given by God to calm us and, and bring us great joy. And it has become the trigger for traumatic experiences, whatever they happen to be. And so I think that in and of itself is the crime that we sometimes unintentionally commit as teachers. We don't intentionally do it because we don't want to harm anyone. But in the, in the guise of wanting to discipline a student, we spend more time criticizing the art form without much positive reinforcement and acknowledging gifts that comes behind that. And so that can create in some singers this criticism loop that eventually makes them unable to phonate. Many of them I, I encounter leave the business entirely. Wow. Okay. I love this throne gift. Oh my goodness. That is so beautiful, Marianne. And this is all making sense. And we talk a lot about polyvagal theory mm -hmm. again in trauma therapy. So our nervous system and the regulation of our nervous system are important components in our being able to cope with triggers, traumatic experiences. And you're basically saying that singing can be a mad skill, releasing positive chemicals, right? Mm -hmm. In our brain and yes. bring healing. Now I'm going to bring in something personal. I started studying voice after my parents were killed in a car accident in 1998. Studying voice and singing for two years became the most healing activity I ever could have done in my life. And it was not something that I did purposefully. I sort of fell into it when I was auditioning for a, a choir. <laughs> and it ended up being the best thing for me. Now, tell me, do you have to be a, a beautiful singer, a, a gifted singer in order to find healing in this modality? No, absolutely not. In fact, if you read a lot of studies, they will say that singing, humming, anything like that, regardless of your ability, still has the same effect on the vagus nerve in terms of how the parasympathetic nervous system responds. And so it, regardless of that, the pathway the vagus nerve runs through that brings about that particular calming situation. And so you don't have to be accomplished. In fact, I have a dear friend who bless it, is tone deaf. I mean, he can't match pitch to save his life, but he's always humming. And he has complex PTSD. And I'm always listening to him humming and whistling. And I know that that's a source that really calms him down. I can see that in him. Amazing. You're so brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> well, bless you. Thank you. <laughs> so how do you help a student then to overcome what we would call performance anxiety and be able to be honest with their bodies and perform and find that place, which we would say your ventral vagal place, where you have a voice, where you have expression, where you're able to be heard, where you're socially engaged. How do you move a student from that place of maybe freezing or uh, being activated into that into the sweet spot. Well, it's interesting I, because I teach what I would call acoustic singing, which means that I guide a student to learn to feel the voice physically more than they listen to the voice orally. I deal with three learning modalities, oral, visual, 
and what I call tactile, which is feeling. I know that if I can teach them to feel the qualities of the voice, which are vibration centric and where those vibrations are located, if I can teach them to feel the voice, then I know that the critical ear oral learning modality will tend to calm down. Then if they're visually oriented, I can then get them to respond to visual cues that then enhances what they feel in terms of the tactile sense. Those two modalities I have seen over years and years of teaching. When I have a student who's visual who learns to feel something in their instrument that they can identify as safe first, safe first, and musical and creative second. Uh, I'll explain that safety thing in a minute. Then I know that the ear will tend to calm down in its response to the brain. This is kind of technical, but here's the deal. When the ear is in charge, it is trying to communicate to a portion of the brain in the neocortex that only understands frequencies. So the tonal center in the brain doesn't understand placement. It doesn't understand shape. It doesn't understand any of that. It only understands frequencies. And here's the ear going, this is not right. It's not the right color. It's not the right place. So the ear is trying to talk to the brain and the brain goes, I do not understand. And that's when the sympathetic nervous system begins to respond. And it's, of course, we don't want that when they're trying to be creative. So what I do is create in them a sense of vibrations in the voice that A, feel safe, meaning that they feel like they're responsive and feel like they can produce it again and again without having to think too many thoughts. I know when I teach them how to feel those vibrations, the parasympathetic nervous system takes over. And then what I can begin to do, once that response system is lowered, then I can introduce them to other things that they become aware of in the music, things that, that's already written in the music that's emotional, that they don't have to enhance, they just have to respond to it. And so that's one of the things that I do is teach them first to feel the voice and to visualize more than to listen, because I know how the brain responds to that sort of thing. The second thing that I use is, is a lot of breathing techniques that are self-calming. So we know that when you exhale longer than when you inhale, so I use four to six or four to eight ratio breath. I know that when they exhale longer than when they inhale, that cues the parasympathetic nervous system, brings it in gear. We use that a lot in, in therapy Yes. to self-calm. And so the interesting thing about this practice of teaching them to feel the vibrations of the voice and where those are to recognize those as safe and creative and to use the breath itself to self-calm then ushers them into sometimes unknowingly a theta state in the brain cool. and we, we can talk more about theta in a minute but basically to stay on topic with this particular question what I'm teaching them to do is do something very athletic with the voice Yet all the while it's happening, they're very calm and very present. If they are calm and present, they then can respond to the music emotionally rather than think about performing the music. I talk to my students constantly. We don't perform. We have to learn to be in the music. That's fulfilling. So fulfilling. And I have seen you perform and I have watched you do this. I have so many thoughts right now. Uh, <laughs> one, of, <laughs> one of them is when you perform, Marianne, you are connected to the people who are watching you. Now we've all been to a performance where you feel as though you're on the outside looking in, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Or there's a bubble or there's a wall between 
what is the difference? Yeah, I, I can tell you, and I'm just, you know, I'm such a nerd right now for how the brain works with the body in terms of, of performance and self-calming and all of this, because this is so much of my own journey. I've had a lot of experiences over the last 10 years that have been some little T traumas, some big T traumas. But basically, I have always come back to singing and therapy and a lot of other things that have been crucial in my recovery, understanding how I behave and why I make the choices I make. But really, singing has become that thing that has helped me bring myself to center and experience uh, the music. And so one of the things I endeavor to do, and it has to do with this theta state, is when we practice these things that I was talking about earlier, what happens is theta is that brain state that we get into right before we go to sleep and then right as we wake up. It's not delta, it's not beta. It's where the mind is, is aware but the body is calm. And I've heard people say before, I have my most brilliant thoughts at 4 a.m. That's me. I'm like, I could write a novel. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, that, that is actually a brainwave called theta. And the interesting thing about theta is theta is where a performer arrives at when they are their most creative, in touch with their bodies, and in touch with their art form. You cannot feel your music and respond to it in the environment in that moment, unless you allow yourself to enter theta, allow yourself being key. It is a self-calming practice that allows your brain to go into the state. And it does take practice for me, but it's intentional because I can now say to you that I feel connected to everyone in the room, regardless of how difficult the music is. And I just finished a show, it's still going on, but it's a, it's a tribute to Maria Callas. And there are 11 arias, opera arias in this show. No one sings 11 arias in anything. And I knew when I did it, it was going to be athletic. Mm -hmm. But in the end, once it was in my body in terms of the music, I had to allow myself to move into that theta state so that I could not just, I didn't need to perform the music. That was a totally different feeling in my body. I needed to be connected to the people in the room and aware of how the music spoke to me uh, emotionally. So here's why that is so powerful to me. Because you allow yourself to enter into that state, mm -hmm. experience the music and be in the music you are inviting every person in that room to have an experience with you. Yeah, that's correct. And it takes, there's a bit of bravery to lay down your expectations for your singing and just let it be what it is. And that's an authenticity that I think young singers desperately, all singers and teachers want, is they want to feel authentic in the art form. But it requires that you not try to have preconceived ideas and that you are in touch with your body, in touch with your spirit, in touch with your emotions appropriately. We can talk about that, but appropriately so that you can communicate effectively. But in the end, there's a lot of honesty in being able to do that. And some people are just really fearful of that. But I can tell you, I am not 25 years old. I'm in my 50s. I'll just say it. I'm 57 years old. And I, <laughs> I'm singing in terms of how I feel about my singing better than I've ever sung before. And I don't think it's my technique is my technique. I think it's because I allow myself 
to reach that spot. I can't make it. I just have to allow it. And then I just let it be what it is. I'll let it speak for itself. The music and my voice and my spirit speak for itself. This sounds like such a holistic human experience that glorifies God in the ultimate way. And there's such a big difference from experiencing with the people in the room and inviting them in and performing at them. And I have to speak to this if you don't mind. I was in the middle of my college show here recently. It was for the Natchez Festival of Music. And I was in the middle of Tosca's aria Visi Darte, an, an opera by Puccini. Weirdly enough, my Jeep is named Tosca, just an aside. <laughs> Very important. <laughs> Very important information. But uh, Puccini had this knack for writing arias in the part of whatever voice type he was writing them in that he knew would elicit an emotional response. He didn't know why. He just knew that certain sounds in certain parts of the range produced an emotional response. And he would often pair the voice with instruments that had similar color, similar timbre. And so the soprano voice tends to be paired with the strings when it gets more emotional, that sort of thing. But the interesting thing about Visidarte is Tosca has just been raped and thrown to the floor. And she immediately has to sing this aria. And what this aria is, is a prayer to God. I have given my life to you. I have given my art form to you. I've been so faithful. Why is this happening? But it's a plea and a cry from a woman who's just been hurt. And the interesting thing is when I sang this in the college show, I watched, I observed grown men in tears in the audience. Mm. And I know them, so I know they're not all opera people, opera aficionados, but what they were doing was responding to the vibrations. They may not have understood one word I was saying, yeah. but when it got to the most pleading emotional parts, they responded like that. I am always moved at how, and I, I mean, Puccini didn't have the brain science, but you know, they didn't have the research behind it. He just knew, Handel knew when he was writing Messiah. I mean, at the end, when he, 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 he got so emotional at the end of composing it, he cried out to God. I just think some of these composers were writing with this divine spark in mm. them that produced this art form. It came from God. There were composers who had a divine spark. They were divinely inspired. And they created music that produced this almost supernatural emotional response from people. And that we as artists have to be willing to allow ourselves to go there and experience that more than try to perform it. it yeah, I not, it's interesting, Megan, because I have a saying and I tell my students in my studio because they'll come in and they're listening to all these recordings and they've developed all of these mannerisms of these famous singers. And I'll point out to them what the composer has already laid in the music. And I said, do you think we could let Puccini be Puccini for a moment? And find out what that is at that spirit level, rather than trying to make it spiritual. Now, my gosh, we could have a conversation all day long about that. So here's the parallel to mental health in this, among a thousand other things that you're saying. You just talked about a divine spark, which you know, I believe everybody has a divine spark. A soul breathed into them by God. And we spend a lot of time in the therapy room trying to connect 
clients to their divine spark, another word is spiritual core self, another word is soul. Imagine if we were all doing that, right? Mm-hmm. And and being authentic. So so you're saying to students, do not manufacture. Be correct. Correct. And that is what I'm saying to my clients. Don't manufacture. That's not what God wants. You just be the best version of you. And everything seems to fall online when that happens, right? Absolutely. And it's interesting you say that because many of us struggle because of past traumas and things like that to get down to that level where we recognize and can identify our our spiritual core self. I can say that because I was taught through my entire upbringing that I needed to do in order to be successful, that the measure of success was what I did, not who I was. And so I didn't know who I was. I didn't, I, I knew from the time I was 11 years old, I felt the Holy spirit when I was in church. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know who it was. I just knew I felt it. But now that I'm coming back around and I can go to that place where I can recognize and honor and be in the space with my spiritual core self, I understand why I felt it in singing before I knew what it was. There is so much otherworldliness in the things that you're saying. You're talking about the emotions and the things our souls feel. You're not talking about cognitive knowledge. You're talking about things that are intuitive. Yeah. It's fascinating. So you felt the Holy Spirit in singing and you just knew you loved that, right? Yeah. And I mean, I was, you know, my first, you want to call it classical singing experiences. I was in Catholic school. I was six and the nuns would push up the the thing to the lectern that would boost me up so I could see over the top of it. And they taught Schubert's Ave Maria in Latin to me by rote. Oh, my good heavens. And I remember singing it. And I just remember feeling my voice and not being afraid. It was just like it was that lack of fear that a child has. But I remember it always connected God to my singing. Anytime I sang, I felt connected to God. And I think that's probably, you know, why I I was a charismatic for so many years, because when I worshiped, you know, I wasn't performing. I was just singing and I could feel the Holy Spirit, feel God is God's presence. But I also when I go on stage and I'll tell my students this a lot and the teachers a lot too. I said, you know, you can be singing Schubert. You can be singing Verdi. But if you have this connection to your spirit with your singing, people don't hear, they feel a difference Mm -hmm. and they will approach you and say, I don't know what it is about you, but something feels different. And that's your opportunity to share your life. And you didn't even have to say a word while you were singing. They just felt it. And that's the power of God. That's why I call singing a throne gift, because I think it is so powerful without saying it when you get on stage. It really is. Well, and that's what we all experience with mm-hmm. you, Marianne. And I've said this so many times, this je ne sais quoi. I don't know what it is, but you draw people in. Everyone wants to be around you. We want to experience your art and we want to know more about it. I I'd like to go back to the breath because that also is very much in line with what we talk about at Mountain City Christian Counseling, the breath control. And I remember studying this breath control, breath control, and I think it made me hyperventilate more than anything else trying to control mm. this technique. And even at MCCC, I, 
I'm not a big proponent of controlling breath. And I learned this from my beloved friend, Jane Clapp, who was on our last episode in a training she was doing. She said, we spend way too much time controlling it rather than trying to understand what our breath is expressing to us. And that's, a you know, when you connect that to Yahweh, to the idea that the ancient Hebrews spelled it Y-H-W-H, spelled the name of God that way because, yep, do it again. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. <laughs> Acknowledging that the breath of God, that every time they breathe in, they are saying God's name. Yahweh. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I've heard Jane say a thousand things have to happen for us to breathe. And yet we do it all day long, every day. It's really quite miraculous. Mm -hmm. So here's what I'm imagining my very colorful mind right now. (laughs) I'm imagining you harnessing this power of breath, the breath of God without restraining anything but breathing in all of that beautiful color and allowing it to move in and through your body through your vocal cords the vagus nerve the whole thing and then coming out as this gorgeous sound (laughs) well and there's a lot of factors to it but for the for our discussion you know breathing is one of those things controlled by the parasympathetic nervous system and so when we learn to use it naturally like that and enhance it from and from the standpoint, I think, of not really holding it, but letting it come from a place of honest emotion. I'm going to talk about the spirit breath in a minute that I teach my students to do. But I think when we do that, the parasympathetic nervous system responds and calms. And the nice thing about calming is we often think of calming from a sleepy perspective. But when you are calm, you are aware and when you are aware, you can communicate honestly and feel honestly and it not override the body's physical response to intense emotions. And so mm. to jump off from that to something I use practically, I tell my students, you have, for instance, using VC Darte, the REI I was just talking about. Here's Tosca coming out of a traumatic rape experience. And she now sings the most beautiful prayer to God. And literally there's no music. She is thrown to the floor. One note, she starts singing. And so I tell my students, if I breathe in from the standpoint of what just happened to me traumatically, what happens is the audience doesn't feel the spirit of who I am. They feel what happened to me and they tighten up immediately feeling that bodily and because they do that what Puccini has written in this prayer never can enter their body I've seen audience members hold their breath through an entire song because the person was doing the same they were trying to hold trauma and communicate trauma Hmm. so I use this term called spirit breath identify spirit breath as a spiritual trait it's a god trait it is not a learned trait and it is not impacted by trauma. It's something that's at, it's their spiritual core self. Yay. Yes, it is their spiritual core self. Yep. But they have to name it. Mm-hmm. And so I often say, if you can't name that, so it's a love, mercy, 
one of those things. But it, if they don't know, then you have to say, well, what do they want most? What does the character want most? And then they can usually identify the trait there. Then I will say, when you inhale to sing, name the inhalation for the spirit trait. Don't breathe to sing, breathe in the spirit trait. And it changes the way they feel the breath. So if they identify it as love, the whole body responds differently than I'm about to sing a 12 measure phrase without breathing, or I'm going to sing based on the rate that just happened to me. The inhale of the breath is different when you breathe spiritually. The beautiful thing about singing is that if your technique is organic, meaning it's musical, but it also works with your body. When you breathe in that spirit trait, more things emerge in the voice than you could ever imagine on their own because in that moment you breathed in that spiritual place and mm -hmm. just let the voice be what it was going to be based on how the music spoke to you so rather than planning what you were going to do with the voice you breathed in the spirit trait and you allowed the voice to serve the music that's very different that is so freeing and i love your passion surrounding it you know what you're talking about have you seen students teachers transform mentally and emotionally through your studio yes and there are many many stories i could go on for days and we don't have days but i've just used last week i had two young ladies teenagers come to me both loved singing both were very timid and we did in two different lessons with their music we involved this spirit inhale and I would stand in front of them. So what I do is I mirror it in front of them if they're a visual. So I'll mirror me taking in the spirit breath and allow them to give themselves physically what they see in me. And immediately they just followed that. And the voice came out and it was like nothing they had ever felt in their lives. And both of them jumped up and down like I had given them gold. They get so excited. But I will also tell you that I have had a number of singers and teachers come to me who have experienced profound trauma in their lives. And what we do is we pick a piece that it doesn't necessarily trigger that trauma, but we'll pick a piece that has emotion to it. And we will start with the spirit trait and nothing else. Mm. And when they breathe in that spirit breath, what happens, I've had countless teachers, very seasoned teachers, and they'll start singing and they'll take in that spirit breath. And what comes out, literally they'll sing two phrases and they weep. They stop singing and they weep. That's a release. Yes, of course. Oh, yes. They get mad at themselves for crying. I'm like, no, that is a natural, emotional, res honest response to your voice in this music. And that's the healing property that I'm talking about there. I've seen so many people. I mean, I have a student in Seattle who's a longtime teacher, and I have seen her completely transform in her singing and her teaching, working through these techniques. And she had come through some serious emotional trauma before we started. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, a, I'm not a psychologist. I, that's not my field. But just by working in this area, I've seen profound physical healing. I've seen profound emotional healing. Both of those things I could talk about in another podcast, physical and emotional. But anyway, it's, I'm such in awe of how God has done this with these people who are willing to be honest and take this chance. It just, it makes me cry. I can't talk about it. <laughs> I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. it's so vulnerable. It's so mm -hmm. vulnerable. And you can't just have a, a release like that or be honest and courageous in front of everybody. You are safety. 
Marianne, you are intuitive, you know what they need, and you carry it with fear and trembling. And that's, that's a big part of being a healer. Yeah, it, I will say that a lot of the teachers I mentor, I tell them, your student is not going to trust you because you have degrees hanging on your wall. They have to feel safe. In order for them to feel safe, they have to feel as though you're reading them and listening to them and learning about them rather than just ticking off things on your clipboard, your agenda. You really have to be paying attention. And when you teach from the standpoint of your own honest singing and your own experiences, a trust bond develops there not because of what you say, but because of what they feel. And so an example I use is a student comes into a lesson and you've got all your degrees hanging on the wall. You're a new teacher and you say, I want you to do this. And the singer and you describe it based on how you do it. And the singer tries it and they can't. And then inside the teacher's head, they're going, I didn't do this right. I'm a terrible teacher. Da, 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 da. It's, this is awful. And the singer is watching them and the singer's reading their body language. And the singer is saying, I'm not doing it right. She hates me. He hates me. So I always tell teachers, it's not the words of your mouth as much as how you learn to read one another. This is empathy. Mm-hmm. physical and emotional empathy that's an open portal that that's where trust is established mm-hmm. and that's why i tell my teachers you are not just teachers you are mentoring them in yes. this process you are learning to be honest with each other and give information from that standpoint yes this is such beautiful emotional relational health now i want to ask something else i'm imagining a trauma survivor singing Maybe it's a piece or a role that calls for them to channel very intense emotions. How do they respond effectively without the emotions overtaking their musicianship? Okay, that is, that's a great question. And depending on the level of trauma, what I do in teaching them performance of that role or that song or aria is I teach them when they get to a place where the the text may be triggering, I make them switch completely to tactile sensory experience. So when singers sing acoustically, there's actually, you know, I laugh, I tell my singers all the time, you know, you're driving down the street and there's a car playing rap music and you feel the bass thumping against your chest. Those are actually sound molecules hitting you in the chest. And so the lower the frequency, the lower they hit in your body, the higher the frequency, the higher they hit. And so they can learn to feel those vibrations, those molecules, high out in front of, basically in front of their eyes. And so when they come across this area where the text may be triggering, now, first of all, if it's super triggering, we don't do it. I mean, there's, there's no, no need to take a potato peeler to the skin just in order to get out there and perform something. I've had people where I'm just like, we're not going to do this. This is too much. But if they switch over to completely tactile sensory experience in the vibrations, They can often feel the music resonating in the body. What tends to happen is they tend to be triggered by text more than sound. And so what I tend to get them to do is switch to what I call tactile mode. So there are vibrations that they can feel external to the body that they learn to feel with me when we're working on this particular quality and singing. What I get them to do is something I call scanning, like a Walmart scanner. If they have an experience where something triggers them, I immediately ask them to shift to feeling out in front of here for those molecules of sound that are hitting them in the face. They can feel that sensation because of how we set up scales and the technique 
all that sort of thing. But what happens is immediately when they switch to that tactile feeling mode, it stimulates the parasympathetic uh, nervous system to self-calm. Then what happens for the rest of the song or aria or role is they're feeling the voice rather than listening to what they're saying. They can then respond to the music emotionally without having the specifics of the text to trigger them. Okay, so you're actually utilizing the emotion without delving into the specifics of the emotion because if they have a triggering event they will try to attach that event in their life to this text even though the meaning of the text might not have any connection at all and when they do that there's a style of acting that some people use where they totally immerse themselves into the characters called method acting and method acting is where they allow themselves body soul and spirit to just get all the way down into the dirt with whichever character they're portraying The problem is method acting doesn't work with singing because it's too physical, too triggering, all of those things that doesn't allow the breath to flow in such a way that the voice can be free and effortless and really be able to feel the emotions communicating in the music. So you have to give them a way to connect to the music emotionally so that the parasympathetic nervous system is triggered to calm, but there's not a specific emotional reaction to the text itself from whatever has happened to them in the past. Brilliant. So you are preserving the honesty and authenticity Mm -hmm. without the emotion escaping in an unhealthy, out of control way. Is that a good way to say it? That's, that's a great way to say it. And the weird thing is there are parts of our body that react when we're triggered the abs, the neck, all these different places in our body with singers when they're triggered by whatever, you can see them react. And what those places do is cause them to lose bodily awareness of the breath flowing. It's not that they can't feel their body. They feel pressure. And I often will say to singers, when you're triggered like that, pressure feels like pressure. Sound is pressure. Airflow can be pressure depending on what you're singing, but so can muscular tension if you're not injured. And in the heat of singing, it's all pressure. Mm. And so you're teaching them to be aware of the difference between letting go of the pressure in the body so the breath can flow so they can access the emotions authentically through the music versus stopping the flow and then identifying that pressure as singing, which it's not. Goodness. There is so much here. So so much here. And I'm, I'm marveling over how similar our jobs are. It's about that connection. It is about that wholeness. It is about being honest with ourselves. Mm -hmm. It is about healing past hurts. And I often say with singers that when they do this, they are the first to receive the experience and the healing. The audience receives it secondarily. So you're not trying to push out the experience from your body to the audience you're allowing yourself to experience it authentically and they're getting it as a byproduct. They're just in the room, but because of physical and emotional empathy, it's a way for them as well. And so singers don't oftentimes want to allow themselves to experience it in this way because they're afraid that they will lose some sort of perfection in the vocal technique. Mm -hmm. But what happens when they do that is they deprive the audience of that empathetic experience of receiving both physically and emotionally what the music intended to be. Oh, that is so powerful. So a lot of attunement here between you and your students, Mm -hmm. other teachers, 
whom you mentor and attunement to the music for the singer, attunement to the spirit, attunement to the breath and to the people around us, right? That's correct. That's correct. And it goes out like concentric waves. As I tell people, we think audience members listen first. They don't. Their bodies react physically first and then they have an emotional reaction to what they're feeling. The sound is just kind of a byproduct of that. But we tend to think mm-hmm. that audience members are just out there tuned in with their ears. No, they're physically responding to something. And then there's an emotional response that arises from that. If we paid more attention to this, Marianne, in our everyday lives, it would be remarkable. <laughs> yes, it would. I mean, Ooh. really, we can trust our gut. We can trust our instincts. We've all walked into a room and felt the tension. Yes, absolutely. The other thing about trusting your gut is the body can't respond to what it's telling you if the brain is too active. And we singers in particular tend to think if the brain's not moving 90 miles an hour, they're not productive. And so when I tell them, no, the brain has to slow down enough for awareness to happen. And I think so many of us are thinking 90 mile an hour thought. I was guilty of this as a human, just thinking the more thoughts I had, the more productive I was as a human. Right. And the minute I entered this other phase and my brain slowed down, I realized I was more aware of the people around me, not the next thing I had to do. And so I think there's numerous lessons in that, just being in that place and being aware and present. So beautiful. So as we get ready to wrap, Marianne, Mm -hmm. for all of our listeners who may or may not be musicians, Mm -hmm. but are doing their best to attune to their own spirit, soul, spark, what can you teach us? Is there something that you can share with us right now without putting you on the spot? And I can totally edit this if it's not a good thing no, to do. No, 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 no. I can say a couple of things. They're just, I think, big picture things. One is I don't think we're aware of how many times we hold our breath during the day. I was taking a walk in the woods yesterday on a beautiful trail. And what I was doing was trying to let my mind not think about the big decisions I have to make in the upcoming months. And I noticed that every time my mind would revert back to one of those thoughts, I was holding my breath. Mm-hmm. And so what I did instead was I just began to breathe and look around me at the trees. And I turned my music off and everything and just listened to the woods, listened to the wind, listened to the sound of the, it just, it just became aware of the environment rather than trying to put something internal in my ear to block all that out. I just let it come in. And I noticed that when I breathed, everything calmed down. And I just don't think we are aware of how many times a day our brain is going so fast that we're not breathing. Then my son FaceTimed me the other night and my granddaughter, Olivia, it's like eight o'clock at night and I'm sitting outside. The breeze is blowing and the swan in my pool is lighting up and every giggle she had, I noticed her dad would say something and she would go, I don't know. And I just giggled at everything she said. I just am so aware. We're only here, but we're a vapor. And we're so busy trying to move on to the next thing we're supposed to do that we hold our breath and push forward. And in the process of that, we miss everything around us that God has put around us to say, hey, stop. Life is short. You really need to enjoy and be present in these moments. And so I always see that hashtag intentional living. And I think the breath is keenly tied to that. I think if we realized how many times we held our breath and worked to let that go, our awareness of what's around us increases. And so does, I think, our our life fulfillment. 
Oh, Marianne, I can feel the emotion coming from you right now as you're talking about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Right. So a lot of mindfulness there, paying attention to what our breath is communicating to us and working with our breath. It takes practice. It really takes practice. Um, mm-hmm. I know people in my atmosphere that have constant panic and anxiety attacks. And I always say, you know, working through these things is not an accomplishment. It's a daily practice. Mm-hmm. And I can say that I'm super accomplished in a lot of things and I would be blowing a lot of hot air because I make a lot of mistakes. But I will say that once I recognize it, I do continue to try to practice things that put me present in the world, whether it's in my singing or my relationships. And so don't be discouraged. It's not a mountain to conquer. It's a practice daily and an awareness. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Marianne. We are all richer for having heard your brilliance. Marianne is, she's coveted all over the country as a teacher and a vocalist. Please go to her website. It's www.mariannekyle.com. She's on Instagram and on Facebook. I will include those links along with the description. So check her out on Facebook. She's ultra inspiring in so many ways. Again, Marianne, you are an absolute gem. I've learned so much and I just love who you are. Thank you. Thank you for being here today. And as always, we are pretty smart, pretty savvy. We are pretty psych. To get a hold of a clinician at Mountain City Christian Counseling, please go to our website, www.mountaincitychristiancounseling.com or reach out to Julie, Julie at mountaincitychristiancounseling.com. Thank you.